Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from the first book of Chronicles, chapter 22. That can be found on page 351 in the Black Bibles found around you. That's First Chronicles, chapter 22. If you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for the building of the house of God. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails for the doors of the gates and for clamps as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing, and cedar timbers without number, for the Sidonians and the Tyrans brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it, So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God, as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing. For there is so much of it, timber and stone, too, I have provided." To these you must add, you have an abundance of workmen, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now, set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord your God, 
so that the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into a house for the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of your word. Thank you for the privilege to participate in the sacrament of baptism together. Thank you for new life. Thank you that you have given the grace of the Spirit in our midst. God, I ask that you would work and move and lead and direct and build us up. God, would you make us a vibrant house for your name? I ask that you would build us up this morning, even as we heard read of the preparations and the, the, the labor and the pains that David went to build your house. God, we are your temple. God, would you come and prepare and work and move in us to build us up into a dwelling place for you by the Holy Spirit. God, would you do that through the proclamation of your word this morning? Would you minister to us and strengthen us according to your glorious might? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to spend a little more time this morning situating us and reminding us of where we've been and what's going on. Um, you know, if you've been with us, uh, we're, we're walking through the books of First and Second Chronicles, and we've been moving uh, kind of slowly through the opening chapters, and we find ourselves really at, uh, in some ways, what could be said, the, the guts of what's going on in First Chronicles and what's going to set us up for the second book of Chronicles. And what I want to do here is navigate for us and narrate for us the reality that in many ways we've been like setting a table for what we're going to enter into as we are looking at these books as providing paradigms and perspectives and principles of building a house for the name of the Lord. Uh, so I'm going to spend a little time framing that up for us this morning. We'll dive into the text and then I've got a couple principles to elaborate. But I want to just give you a quick uh, overview or a, a quick understanding of why uh, there's times where I want to belabor the point or spend more time situating us within the text. There's, there's a handful of reasons that I just want to give you really quick. Number one, repetition is really good. Right, So we, we oftentimes don't actually engage and ingest something until we've heard it uh, a half a dozen times or more. And so I want some of these realities to be deep down in us that as we see and understand the text, we know where we're at, right? I want to equip you as you find yourself in chronicles in days that come down the road, if you're walking through a Bible reading plan or you're, you're opening the text to these uh, these books that you remember and understand some of the situation of what's going on. So as you engage the Lord there, you have familiarity and understanding of his word. So repetition is really important. The second thing that's actually really important in my estimation is for us as a spiritual family to build what I would call like a shared imaginary, right? We, ha we, we have to have some sense of how do we make sense of and meaning about what God's calling us to and what he's putting in front of us. 
us. And I want some of the images and some of the metaphors and some of the principles to be shared among our spiritual family. And the only way to do that is to keep talking about it and just say it over and over and over again so that we get it and we ingest it and we understand it and we orient how we view the work that's in front of us uh, uh, in in a similar manner. Uh, Lastly, I, I do want to help us make sense of what's going on in our church. We find ourselves in a unique season, uh, and we've talked about that a lot, a season of building and rebuilding. And uh, I want to narrate for us the decisions that are going behind what we're we're stepping forward uh, toward as a church, what we're giving our labor to, what we're giving our time to, what we're giving our energy to. Why are we saying yes to some things and no to other things? I want to situate us all in a similar place so we understand that. So I'm gonna spend some time again introducing where we're at, reviewing and situating us. Look with me at the notes. I, I gave you a couple verses here that I think are gonna help shape us in understanding where God is calling us and what's in front of us right now. The first is from Isaiah chapter 61, verse four. Uh, we've, we've experienced the saving grace of Jesus, the Messiah, and the early stages of Isaiah 61 are all about the, the grace that Jesus has made known uh, in his saving work. He's proclaiming good news to captives. He's uh, setting free prisoners, healing blindness in those who are blind. And then he, he, he moves through this reality of why is he going to move in such a way to bring redemption and salvation among his people? And he says, I'm doing this because there will be a day when they will build up the ancient ruins. They will raise former devastations. They're going to look upon ruined cities and bring repair to them. The devastation of many generations. And I know we've, we've talked about it a lot, but we do find ourselves at a threshold, I believe, culturally and spiritually, where it's time to get to work rebuilding the ruins, repairing the things that have been uh, destroyed and, and torn apart in our world and in our, our, our house of God and in our houses to, to, to step toward rebuilding and reforming what God is at work doing. The second uh, verse that I just want you to have in your heart and mind as we step into this is from the book of Haggai, which Haggai is in some ways a contemporary to the writer of the Chronicles. So the writer of the Chronicles is writing to the same people, but he's just using Israel's history as the courage to strengthen them to do the work. But Haggai just hits it head on. He comes to them and he says, the Lord has spoken and he's, this is his message. The people around say that it's not time to rebuild the house of the Lord. So they had been taken into exile. They come back and the, the house of God had been destroyed and laid low and, and, and disintegrated. And they're looking at these ruins and they realize that the work is going to be really hard and really difficult and it's going to take a lot long time and they may not have all that it takes to do it. And so they kind of do some easier things. And after a season, the Lord sends his prophet Haggai and he says, Everybody's saying in their heart, now's not the time. It's the time. Arise and work. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house of the Lord that I may take pleasure in it. 
that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Essentially what Haggai is saying is, hey, look at how you're living your life. Look at what you're giving your life to. Look at how you're ordering your time and energy and resources. There might be a season of reordering and refocusing and reprioritizing to get to work on the things that matter. So look at letter A. As the Lord has been at work in our church over the last season, he has been calling us as a family to walk into a season of building the house or rebuilding our our spiritual family. This is not only because of the particular story that he has written within our spiritual family, but also I believe in line with a a call that God has in light of the broader uh, cultural and spiritual moment we find ourselves at in the world. Right? I don't think we're unique. I don't think we're, that we're all that special. I think God is inviting his people to take serious stock at and, and, and look at what it means to rebuild some of the places that have been brought to ruin. Right? This is, I think, if you could, if you could uh, add a little scriptural reality thing here, I think this is what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I think this is what the Lord, if he was going to show up and like, you know, he does in the book of Revelation and he writes a unique letter to the churches, I think if the Lord were to come and, and, and talk to us about what's in front of us, I think one of the things that the Spirit would say to us as a spiritual family is, this is the season that you find yourself in. Not just because of what's happened here locally, but because of what's happening in our world and in the church to set out to rebuild the house of God. Let her be one of the specific ways that we're doing this. Just as a reminder, or if you're new with us, here you go. Is to understand, strengthen, and establish this is by preaching through these books. Like I said, these books are written to the exiles, uh, the Jewish exiles that have been taken away into captivity and were coming back with the charge to rebuild God's house. These books, let her see, are designed to inspire a people that are standing and looking at ruins to take up their place and work in partnership with God's purposes, right? And I'm praying that as we preach through them, they do the same for us. That we're, we're, we're looking at some ruins around us and we go, oh my goodness, this feels bigger than, I, 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 than me. This feels, more, um, this, this feels more complex than I have the strength or the wisdom or the ability to do anything about. And the Lord might invite us to go, get to work because I'm with you. What we see here. So letter D, we're currently walking through one of the most seismic and dramatic transitions, I think, in all of human history. At every level of our society, both in the West and globally, we're experiencing cultural, societal, political, economic, and relational unrest and uncertainty. I don't have to convince anybody of anything there. This is fruits of generations or decades of revolution and upheaval at the values level in our world. And at the same time, the church is undergoing one of the fastest and most comprehensive transitions ever seen in history. People are leaving the church in droves. Over the next decade, the church, I think, will likely only see an increase to difficulties that we face and the unique pressures we're walking into. Letter F, here's, here's my thesis. However, we see in the scriptures a pattern laid out for us to seek and pursue the face of God 
as the means through which we experience renewal in our world, right? So this is the pattern. This is the pattern of Chronicles. When we're looking at the pile of ruins, don't despair. Don't despair. Pick up a shovel, get to work. Where? Start with worship. That's, that's the pattern of Chronicles. There's a pile of ruins. Stop railing about the ruins. Stop complaining. Stop despairing. Let's get a shovel and get to work. And you go, where do I get to work? Let's start with worship. Let's start with the house of God. This is what I think God is inviting us into. Look at letter H. God promised through his prophets that he would one day raise up David's tabernacle. That's what's being built here in the books of Chronicles. In the New Testament, James, the apostle, understands that the Lord is fulfilling this promise through the expansion of the church. So he's saying as the church is being uh, uh, grown throughout the world, God is fulfilling his promise to rebuild the tabernacle that belonged to David. This means that we now are the house of God, the dwelling place for the name of God, that we're to seek him through worship and prayer so that his kingdom would be expanded in the world. So this is a call for us to order our lives, both individually and corporately, around seeking the first things first, the kingdom first, the face of God first, the presence of God first, ordering our lives. And when I say ordering our lives, I mean our time, our energy, our resources, our talents, our gifts around the first reality, which is seeking God's face. In seasons of hopelessness, the pattern for the people of God is to order our pursuits around putting worship and prayer at the center of our life together. Look at letter, uh, page two. So there is an invitation before us to press into the Lord regardless of the cost with a spirit of repentance, meaning turning away from the things of sin to turn to the Lord and a spirit of pursuit, seeking the Lord while he may be found. Here's the promise. This is why I go, we don't need to despair. This is why we don't need to be, be um, militant. We know that God delights in steadfast love. We know that God delights in mercy. And so all we do is turn our hearts to pursue the things that he's put before us. And who knows what he will do? Who knows what he will do? Okay, so let's look at this text. That's, that's where we find ourselves. And for the, the rest of our time in First Chronicles, we're gonna, we're gonna be in First Chronicles probably till uh, around the end of this year. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna take a break just for a second as we enter the new year and then we'll jump back into Second Chronicles. But for the rest of First Chronicles, all that's happening from 22 to 29 is David is preparing Solomon to, to, get, to get to work. And so we're gonna look at principles. If we're at a season where we find ourselves and the Lord's inviting us into a season of building, I wanna go, what principles go into that? That's what we're gonna look at these texts to il illuminate for us. 
So let's look at chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, open them up again. We're gonna be moving through this. Letter A, the primary theme of 1 Chronicles 22 is David's preparation. The materials, the labor, the instructions for Solomon to build the temple as his successor to the throne of Israel. So in 1 Chronicles 17, if you weren't with us a few weeks ago, we saw that David desired to build a house for God. He, he wanted to build this, this place for God to dwell. And what we see happen was God came to David and said, you can't do this. I'm gonna let your son do this, but you can't do this. And David recounts this. God wouldn't permit him to do it because there was too much blood on his hands. We see that in verses seven and eight. Let her see, but rather than draw back from his desire to see a house built for God's name, David reoriented his energy to making preparations to ready Solomon for the task. Hey, here's one thing that I want you all to catch. I think there's times where we're all a little bit like David. We have these like desires to do things for the Lord or we wanna see our giftings used or we wanna make the most impact or we wanna you know, do all these big fancy things. And then we come face to face with reality. And the Lord oftentimes goes, it's gonna be slower and harder and more opposed and more difficult and way less uh, cool and hip and exciting than you think it's gonna be. How many of us, I didn't read this in a book, okay? How many of us in those moments throw a little pity party, right? We mope around, we aw shucks, we like despair the place that God's put us. One thing that I love from this text is David doesn't do that. God shows up and goes, you can't build the house. What does he do? He doesn't go, oh, man, I, I really wanted to do that. Why are you gonna let Solomon do that? Why, why, why are you letting him do that? God, if you would just let me actually do the things that I wanna do. Then he throws this like mopey pity party for himself. He doesn't do it. What does he do? He gets to work where he can. He actually takes all of his energy and he goes, okay, if God doesn't want that from me, where do you want me, Lord? And he puts his resources and energy toward that. He orients his energy to making preparations. We see three ways he does this in this text. David prepares the labor for building the temple, right? We see this in verse two, verse 15, and verse 17 to 19. We see this over and over again. David goes, okay, I can't build the house. I'm gonna get all the people ready to do it. So when Solomon's ready, here we go. He gets all the labor necessary. He secures, orients, administrates the necessary manpower for building the temple. In the work that God calls his people to, our skills and gifts are essential and important parts. Although he works through anointing people to accomplish his task, he often does this in accordance with skills, talents, competencies that, we've, that he's given us as, as we've cultivated them. So here's what I want y'all to do. In this season, I want you to ask God, ask God to use the places where he's skilled you, gifted you, aligned you to getting to work. Ask him, what does it look like right now to step in and use those things where we're at? What does that look like? Now, let me give you a little uh, encouragement here. This doesn't mean 
because I have this desire, I get to choose how it best plays in. That's, that's not what I'm asking. And that's not what we need the most. What we need the most is God's calling us to this. How can I take what he's aligned me with, gifted me with, skilled me with, put in my hands? How can I best help build that up? That's what we're called to in these seasons. So that's number one. Number two, David prepares resources, right, for building the temple. This is verses three and four and 14. This was a unbelievably costly endeavor. David gave more money to the building of the temple than any human on the planet has in their possession right now. This is hundreds of billions of dollars that he sets aside to get the temple ready. He painstakingly, look at that. It's, uh, it's, oh, where is it? He says, with great pains, I have done this. With great pains, I have ordered this to see this accomplished. Verse 14, he set aside all of these things at great cost to himself, right? David took less for himself and likely took less for other elements of the kingdom's administration in order to allocate financial resources toward the building of God's house. Here's, here's one of those things, I've, I've mentioned this to you all several times. I would have liked to have been in the staff meeting when David gets all of his, his, his leadership team around and goes, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take $100 billion and we're gonna give it to worship. And the guys start scratching their head. And they're like, David, you know the Philistines are at our doorstep, right? I think we need some more chariots. I think we need some more, like, public sanitation. You know, what, what are people going? Very few people are going, yeah, 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 that's a great idea. Let's give $100 billion so that people can stand in front of this box and sing. David goes, he took less for himself. I'm not going to go up to my bed, my, the comfort of my house, my own uh, ease in this world. I'm going to give to this. And then he took less for the kingdom. We're going to orient and order things in this direction. Lastly, and most importantly, David prepares Solomon's heart for the building of the temple. Look at verses 5 and then 7 to 13. Verse 5. David says to himself, Solomon, my son is, son is young and inexperienced. The house uh, is to be built, must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all lands. So I will make preparation for it. Look at verse seven. So David brings him and he tells him, this was in my heart to do, but God told me I couldn't do it. He said, you're going to do this. And Solomon's probably around 20 years old at this point. And he says, there's gonna be a son, verse nine, He'll be a man of rest and I'll give him rest. His name will be Solomon. He will build a house for my name. He will establish this house and I will establish the royal throne. Now, son, verse 11, the Lord be with you so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding. Why? So that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of your Lord. Then you will prosper if you're careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord God 
uh, commanded Moses, be strong and courageous, fear not, do not be dismayed. So David understands that actually more important than the labor and the resources is preparing Solomon's own heart for the work. Right, David understands that he's young and inexperienced and he needs instruction in how to lead the people in the building of God's house. David understood that the ultimate goal of the temple was not the building, but the worship that happened inside of it. Right, he understood this is actually not even just about the building. This is a place for our people to call upon the name of the Lord so that they might live in obedience to what he has commanded. Even in our season, I just, I, I, I wanna say this. Our work is not ultimately about our building. It's not about our programs. It's not about some like vision map that we put in your hand. This is about worship. This is about hearts aligned with the truth of who God is, adoring him, giving praise to him, lifting high his name, and then being filled with his life so that we can live in conformity to his ways in the world. That's what all this work is about. All this work is about Jesus being made much of in our midst and for our lives to be conformed into his likeness. That's what all of this work is about. We cannot miss that. The pattern, again, where we want to see renewal, right? We want to see God breathe life. We want to see people come to know him. We want to see people saved. We want to see families strengthened. We want to see workplaces filled with the light of the knowledge of God. We go, we need to rebuild the house of God. Why? To make much of the name of Jesus and to be conformed into his likeness that we might follow his ways in the world. So this is what David sets up by preparation. A couple other principles that I wanna give you are things that I want you to notice in the text. Look at letter D. David understands that it's only through the empowering presence of God in the work in front of Solomon and the people that it would be accomplished. This task was too great. The people were too insufficient in themselves to walk in the ways of the Lord. However, David declares God will be with them and he prays that God will grant the understanding and discretion and wisdom and power along the way. Letter E, he then turns and asks them to set their mind and heart to seek the Lord. Look at verse 19. David's done all of this work and then he gathers his leaders around, the people that are gonna support Solomon as, as they're doing this. He says, God's gonna give you peace. He's working to establish peace around you so that you can give yourself to this. Verse 19, now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. One of the primary themes we've seen in this book is the call to seek the Lord, right? We see that when Saul, from the very beginning, did not seek the Lord, it turned into acts of treachery. When David doesn't fully seek the Lord, right, to obey him with the moving of the ark or the, 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 um, the, the issue of the census, we see that it leads to God's judgment. What we find here is as this seasoned king is bringing forward his people and going, this is the work in front of you. Set your minds and set your hearts to seek after the Lord. 
I think this is the biggest encouragement for us in this season. Set our minds to seek the Lord. Set our hearts to seek the Lord. And lastly, I just want you to notice this. Twice in this passage, David then goes, so get up and get busy. Get up and get after it. Verse 16, arise and work. Verse 19, arise and build. Knowing and desiring to fill the commandments of God, the work that he's put in front of us, isn't actually sufficient in itself. There's actually a call to arise, which means like, stand up, put away despair, put away what could be, put away all of those other realities, and get to work, the labor in front of us. Hey, let me just give you three ways we could do this, and then we're going to spend time looking at some principles here. This is just for us in our family at this time, right? What it would look like for us to arise and get to work, uh, even in what God has in front of us, just by ways of reminder. You guys know these, but I want to remind you. Number one, come and labor with us in the place of prayer on Wednesday nights. We gather on Wednesday nights. It is one of the most important things we do as a spiritual family. This meeting is essential to the life of our church. And if you're looking for, hey, where do I grab a shovel and get to work in the repairing of what God's doing? Come and sing and lean in in the place of prayer with us on Wednesday nights. We're here from 6.30 to 7.30. We sing for a little bit and then we ask God to fulfill his purposes in our church and in our city. That's what we give ourselves to. We think that the place of prayer is an essential and important part of seeing God's kingdom life made known in and among his church and in the place where he's put us. And so come and be a part of that. Secondly, uh, for the men in the room, we've got a men's prayer meeting this Tuesday morning. We do it once a month and it just happens to fall this coming Tuesday. So 6 a.m., arise. <laughs> arise and build. We'll be here downstairs in the chapel. Again, another place for us to gather as, as the men of the church to seek the face of the Lord, to ask him to be who he is in our church, in our families, in our workplaces, to see the life of God uh, made known and his purposes made known in our church and in our city. So I'd love to invite you to come and be a part of that. The second way uh, that I want to invite you guys is to be intentional, to look toward joining us with Sunday school. We're, we're coming near the end of a semester here. You're welcome to jump in and, and run with us. We're here at 8.30 on Sunday mornings. We just released, though, this week, the schedule for January, what we're going to be stepping into. We have some really awesome stuff uh, related to instruction and equipping. And those are the things that we're, we're seeking to put tools in our hands to walk in the ways of the Lord together. That's uh, just, just a really important part of what we're doing. The last one, this one's fun, and I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's published yet, but we have... We have a couple lay people in our church that have been faithfully and diligently, what's the right word? Messing with, tweaking, perfecting a intensive Bible reading plan. 
And we did it together as a church last January. We invited everybody into it. We had, we had about 40 people go through beginning to end in this Bible reading plan that gets you in the word, saturated in the word, day in, day out, in a really focused and really intentional way. I want you to start thinking about what it would look like for you to jump in and be a part of that in January. If how many of us in our church could pick up the baton and go, we're gonna read the whole scripture together, uh, aligned at the same time, running in the same way, filling our imaginations in the same place, chewing on God's word, hiding it in our hearts, familiarizing ourselves with his story, his ways, his purposes. It's coming down the road. We'll, we'll have it for you in just a minute. All right, look at page three. So what are some principles that we can derive from this? I have three that I wanna, I wanna highlight for us this morning from this chapter that I think are particular for us as well. Number one, I think that David shows us here that we have to understand our season. Uh, as, we, as we set out to walk in the ways of the Lord, we have to understand what time it is, right? David understood that he was not permitted to build the house of the Lord in the way he desired. It didn't deter him. It didn't cause him to despise the Lord. It didn't call, cause him to uh, despair over what God's doing. Hey, this is a side note. Hey, when you, all the time in our lives, all the time in our lives, we are faced with what do we do when, we, when, when our expectations are not met. I actually think it is one of the premier places where the battle for your affections takes place. I think that the places where our expectations do not match up with reality have the power in our lives to either lead us into greater dependence and maturity before the Lord or bitterness and hardness toward him. We have to know the times. We have to know what time God has put us in. And here's, here's, here's a difficult reality that I think a lot of us face. I think a lot of us, because we desire something, we think it should be that way. Here's a sad reality that we all have to come face to face with. Oftentimes, we don't get a vote in the matter. We don't get a vote. God puts us where he puts us. We don't get to decide, it, 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 like, God, I want you to do it this way. And he goes, that's not best for you. I'm gonna put you here. Our response in those moments, in love and humble trust is, God, how can I respond to you in the place where you've put me? That's what we see David do here, and that's what I think we have to ask the question of as a spiritual family. In different seasons, we have to understand what time it is to rightly apply our labors in the most effective way. The men of Issachar, we talked about them earlier in, the, in this book, they functioned this way in a season of transition that Israel was walking through. They had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 
right? We have to seek to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to our church as we seek to partner in building according with his plans and purposes. Let her, uh, let her be here. The power of legacy work. So one of the ways that God invited David to respond by not permitting him to build the temple was to invite him into a work that would outlive him. I didn't read this from Isaiah 61 back at the beginning, but the amazing thing about the people that are going to repair the ruins and rebuild the former devastations and all that, right before they're called oaks of righteousness. Our ministry, our labors, our uh, alignment with what God's doing is way more like planting oak trees than it is like pl planting a uh, perennial or annual wildflower garden, right? We want, we want our lives to be like the annual flower garden, right? You, you put the seed out there, it all comes up, you got some beautiful flowers, and then it's over. God's like, hey, come and join me in some oak tree work. Come and join me in some oak tree work that you aren't going to see the fruit of. You may not live to see this come to fruition. Put your hand to work here and do not despise it. Do not despair it. Do not lose heart along the way. Jesus compared his work, the work of the kingdom, to the slow work of planting seeds and the slow work of fermentation, right? He says this in Matthew 13, the kingdom's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven that gets hidden in flour and, and slowly permeates and works its way through the loaf. We have to ask the Lord to fill us with patience, with faith, and with hope. The work of sowing or repairing the ruins in the kingdom is like a generations project. There will be times when we have joy-filled harvest. We will, we will see that. But we must not lose heart in the tear-filled sowing. Here's a tension that we have to walk out. Christians are called to live like Jesus is coming back. Right? We're, we're, to call, we're, we're called to be ready. That means be sober, be watchful, be about the right things. But I also think the work that we give ourselves to is meant to be faithful in such a way that if Jesus tarries, the fruits of this are for 100 years from now, 200 years from now. I think we need to regain oak tree work in our midst. And it's not that like hypey, right? It's slow, it's painful, it's tear-filled sowing. Look at this in Psalm 126. Those that sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, he will come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Lastly, there's a paradox in this that we have to be aware of. It brings us into a remar remarkably rich paradox, right? Related to the gift of work, we see that the Lord has to be with us and we see that we must actually do real work, right? Number one, the Lord has to be with us. The work that God's called us to, the work that's in front of us, the work that's um, uh, on the horizon for us as a church, in our families, in our discipleship relationships, even in our vocations, 
are regularly going to bring you face to face with one reality. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. Right? A farmer has to come face to face really fast with the reality that he cannot make the seed come to life. He can't make the rain happen. There are realities about work that you and I have to submit to the Lord of all creation and say, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Unless the Lord sets out to do this and moves in our midst, we labor in vain. That's what the New Testament calls poverty of spirit. As believers, we're called to give our time, energy, and efforts towards partnering with God's grace, establishing his kingdom in the world. But the very things we long to see, we're not able to accomplish in our own strength. Right? Personally, this is true. I want to see myself conform into the image of Jesus. I want to see that anger thing go away. I want that addiction to be broken. I want that pain to be healed. You can't do that. You can't do it. No amount of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, doing just the right things, is going to make that happen. The Spirit of God has to move in your heart, has to strengthen you, has to change you, has to move upon you. He has to be with you. This goes true of our families, right? Building joy-filled homes with, with fellowship and life and, and, and families that are knit together in the, in the bonds of love in Christ Jesus. Moms, dads, anybody with me? You can't do that. We cannot do it. You get up to a line and you go, God, unless you build this house, the labor is in vain. You have to be here with us in our ministry, right? You're sitting across the table from somebody and they're talking to you about longing to be sanctified, longing to see that addiction broken, longing to see that pain healed, longing to see this anger issue dealt with. And you're sitting there going, I don't have what it takes to do that. God, would you be with us? God, would you be with us? God, would you show up? Would you move? Would you release your power in this place? So God has to be with us. And we have to work. Christians aren't exempt from work. Even hard, exhausting, laborious work. We have to reject the false implication that because God has to be with us or that he has to show up, that we would just, we're like passive engagers of the situation. God designed us to work and partner with him in accomplishing his purposes. So we have to set about to do work. But one thing that I also think we have to see here is, this is why we have to know this season. What we work toward matters. What we do matters, right? The work we give ourselves to must be in line with the season and the calling that God has before us. Look at Galatians here. God is not mocked, right? God it will not be mocked. We cannot sow over here and expect to reap a, a harvest of righteousness in this place. You can't plant apple trees and expect oak trees, right? You can't forsake the sowing and build a fence around the house and expect the crops to grow. Where you sow, you will reap. 
right? So what we give ourselves to actually really matters, right? It's not just fill our lives even with really good things. We have to know the season. We have to know what God's calling us to. We have to know what he's inviting us to as a family, as an individual, as in in my vocation, all of those places. I have to know what does it mean for me in this season to sow to the spirit, sow to the life of God, sow in the places where he's calling me to. We cannot live like disordered lives that are like aimless and just kind of bumping around and expect to reap the life that God desires. He will not be mocked, right? He put a principle in place. What we sow to, we will reap. The results of our work are tied to the type of work we do. So the invitation for us is to call upon the Lord and ask him, show me, where do you want me putting my labors right now? Consider our ways, all the way back to Haggai. Consider your ways. Consider our ways, people of God. Where does he long for us in this season to give our time, our energy, our strength, our talents to? to see his glory made known in this place and in our lives. That's what I believe God's inviting us to. These are the principles that I want to put in front of us. Amen.